You're listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. Hi, it's Chris and Susan Beasley here with another episode of Living the Retirement Lifestyle. We've got a great guest for you today because the title of his podcast is Don't Retire, Graduate. Now, that piqued our interest when we heard him on John Lee Dumas's show and we said, we've just got to have Eric Brockman on our podcast too. So welcome, Eric, from across the pond. Thank you, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, Whereabouts are you in the U.S.? Uh, I'm, I'm about 40 miles from Washington, D.C., so I'm, I'm in, in Maryland on the East Coast. All right. Okay. Lovely. I don't. Yeah, we've been to no, Washington, haven't no, we? But never been to no, Maryland. That sounds fabulous. It looks like it's got to be a postcard trip, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, w- w- when you get here, you make sure I take you to dinner. Oh, okay. thank you, Eric. That would be of course. Fabulous. Anytime. So, so, for our listeners and viewers, because we have this as a podcast and as a web show, um, perhaps you could first of all give us a little bit of flavour of how you came into the retirement niche and your background and what it is that you do. And then we've got a couple of questions for you. I'm happy to do that. I, I, I came into this industry by accident uh, in the mid nineties. So I'm, I've been at this almost 30 years uh, and I actually uh, graduated with an English major. I, I studied late 18th century romantic poetry in college because <laughs> Coleridge and Wordsworth were gonna be useful at some point in my life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then went to work at a brokerage firm in the legal department and was gonna do estates and trust and go to law school. And I fell in love with the financial world. So this, this really did happen by accident. Um, in 2003, I started my own firm, which is BFG Financial Advisors. Um, and we've now grown to, to 23 people and, and clients in 33 states and a few foreign countries. And, and um, it's really been an amazing journey. But what I found over the years is that retirement really is an awful idea. And you're talking about living the retirement lifestyle. What, what I would tell you is retirement needs to be redefined before you can do that. Because Please. to retire, and you know in the UK better than we, that the, to, to retire is to go to sleep. It's, to, it's okay. to retire for the evening is going to bed in the UK. Here, we don't use it that way. But the premise is the same. You disappear. You retreat. You, you, you're gone. You just and, sit and wait your life out, don't yeah, you? Yeah, that's a well, good point. It just, it just makes no sense. And, and, and the word tire is in there to begin with. And who wants to be that? Uh, I, I think to, to spend 45 or 50 years building an acumen, building a Vitae, building a network and a career and, a, um, and having this amazing journey professionally to then sit home and watch daytime TV until you die is a tragic way to end a great life. Like, why would anyone do that? <laughs> So that's how that's how it started. And, um, you know, I've always been a, an, an, ed, an educator. I was adjunct faculty. I taught the certified financial planning uh, curriculum at a local university. I love to teach uh, and I love to write. So I figured I'm going to do a what is functionally a course. And the book is written where every chapter is is its own course. It's it's freshman, sophomore, junior and senior year material. And it begins with when you're a young adult and you're figuring out everything from student loans to cash management, to debt, to, to your, your employee benefits for the first time, really basic building blocks um, and dealing with financial literacy conversations. And you get into sophomore year and now it's big life events. Maybe you're buying a house, maybe you're getting married, maybe you're becoming parents and, and these big life events and how they impact you and how to think about them. 
Junior year is where you're in your peak earning years. Now you're really thinking about the investment world, usually in a different way. Um, but you also have tax problems and, and other considerations. And then senior year, it's, it's not just estate planning. It's legacy. It's visions. It's values. It's what's more important than money. And so, you know, we encourage people to graduate to the next stage of their lives because it could be a half of your adult life or a third of your overall life. Um, make it as great as the other two. I think that's fabulous. And, you know, when we spoke with John Lee Dumas on the show um, a few weeks ago, we, he was talking about the second mountain. You know, that's the time where we're going to get rid of the word retire, but unfortunately it is in our vocabulary and people do understand and know it. But, you know, you're coming into a period of your life where you want to do things differently and maybe just maybe you can't do those things but you have the vision you you really and truly think you know I want to do this thing like for Chris and I it's the travel um, and it's continuing the the level of entrepreneurship we've always been involved in we like you love, love the teaching we want to help people to have a better life but through education through self-education and so so important financial literacy I mean really and truly I mean we're, we're just gobsmacked about the lack of it of people of our age and I guess it's because it's never been taught in school really not only is it not taught in school it is not taught at home um, you know, people learn about money by watching their parents half the time fight about it you know, one of the, because kids and money are the two things married people struggle with the most, quite frankly. And if you grow up watching your parents argue about what they're spending on a meal or on groceries or, or on anything, you carry that baggage with you. And then as if that's not enough, you get married to someone who also grew up watching his or her parents go through the same kind of thing. And that's by the scary. time you all come together, you've learned some bad habits. She's learned some bad habits and now you're, you're, you just don't talk about it, which creates a new bad habit that your kids can learn. And it, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy that if you don't educate and you don't teach this and you don't learn it um, early, it's a much, much heavier lift later. So, you know, we, we put together a, a personal financial literacy course that's an online course available to anyone who wants and it's free. Um, and we did this so that young adults specifically, but even students, could start getting some of the basics because they're not getting into school. And there are lots of political and other reasons why that's true, but they're, they're not getting in school and their parents can't teach them something they don't understand. And it's very difficult, I guess, for if you, if there's something that you don't understand, very difficult to actually take your children or your young adults and say, you need to go and learn this over here. Because I mean, there are plenty of, people out there plenty of courses out there i mean sharon lecter who's a good friend of ours um she teaches financial literacy and has done for i don't know how many years all the years we've known her certainly <laughs> um, and it's very difficult unless you come into a world where financial literacy is important that it's very difficult i think to guide people into those areas I mean, we know thousands of people now who who have good financial literacy, including ourselves. But it's because of the market we're in, I think, because we change from our 
accountancy into an online education business. And we realized very early on that financial literacy was very important. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, in today's world, most, a lot of people have ignored their retirement finances for many, many years. Um, and therefore, you know, get to a point in their 50s where they realize all of a sudden I don't have any money or I don't have enough money. Are there alternatives? And that's the area that we work in, help, helping people, showing people that there are alternatives if they want to find them. Um, so do you believe there's a question there that we wrote down? Do you think it's still possible to retire in the old traditional way, as we, as we might like to call it? Is it possible? The answer is yes. Is it is it wonderful? The answer is no. Um, I, I, I think the only reason someone should retire entirely from the workforce is because they simply physically or, or mentally can't do it anymore. I mean, there, there are certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, there are certainly health considerations that will play a role in, in terms of what you're able to do. And at a given point, uh, you, you know, all of us will have at some point certain waning skill sets as we get older. But um, but hopefully they're being replaced by other skill sets that make you, you know, be able to be proactive and doing things. Um, it is possible to be jobless. So if, if we're going to talk about retirement, to me, retirement is the absence of needing to work, not the absence of work. So it is perfectly possible to be financially independent. That absolutely exists. And it's a wonderful goal, whether you're 35 or 95, financial independence is a great thing. Um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to be idle. And so I actually encourage people to stay in the game, stay in whatever it is. We tie so much of our identity as who we are to what we do. It, to me, it's kind of tragic. When you, when you meet somebody for the first time and you say, tell me about yourself, the very first thing they tell you is what they do for a living. And I don't understand it. Well, I'm an architect. Well, that's great. Are you also a husband and a father and a friend and a volunteer? And what are you passionate about? Because if you, if you tie your human value to what you do for a living and then you stop doing that for a living you've just devalued yourself at least to yourself it makes no sense um, and if you get to a point of financial independence and you're living a life of abundance which is a wonderful thing and i, I encourage everyone to, to strive to get there that doesn't mean you you can't do something whether it's whether it's for uh, for monetary gain or whether it's volunteering and for fun or both um, it doesn't mean you shouldn't still be engaged. I, I, I see people with their social media profiles. If your social media profile just has John Smith retired, <laughs> it might as well say deceased. It, it really, because it's, because no one's going to go down There's somebody I got to, I got to get to know him. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter whether John used to be an architect and even retired architect is not particularly interesting. What would be interesting is, uh, volunteer at the food bank or a uh, lover of old books or something. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be for work, but there's gotta be more to you than just what you did for your, in most of your working life. You know, that's so, I think that's so important. We were asked to contribute a chapter to a book. I think it was about 18 months, maybe two years ago now. And the title was fabulous. It was retire inspire and it was volume one because there are more to come and it was 23 stories from people like I think we were the only couple but there were people from all walks of life who had reached shall we say a certain age mm -hmm. not retired 
because they were still doing something with their life and contributing either philanthropically or in the line of entrepreneurship, maybe different to what their career was. Mm -hmm. And that really sort of drove us on. And, and some of those people we've gone on to interview on our podcast, because unless we all of us, that's you, ourselves, our guests, get the message out there, so many people don't know what's possible we interviewed Robert Laura you probably know him because you've you've written on similar um, very well-known um, and, and influential sites like Forbes and Yahoo and that and such subject of financial literacy and he, he said you know the biggest worry that he saw in doing a survey of our population if you like that when you finished your career and particularly with men, which was quite scary, the rate of suicide amongst men who've come out of the workforce was just staggering because they just don't know what to do. They've had responsibilities to the employees that they've had in their business if they were, you know, at, at a higher level. They've had family responsibilities and maybe those no longer exist for one reason or another the children have left the nest and everything else I think you know apart from the financial literacy in school I think this is one of the biggest areas that's a worry for people have I you must have experience of that with the people that you you deal with Many, many times. And in fact, I've, I've interviewed some folks on our show, some really interesting people. One of them was a, an octogenarian who worked with folks 80 plus on how to create side hustles. And oh, it, wow. it, helped the, it, it was really, really neat. He, he helped people figure out. I mean, it, it might be you're 83 years old and you're starting a dog walking service for busy people because yeah. it gets you some exercise and something to do and you love animals. Yeah. Um, and then that was just one example. You, you don't have to be a greeter at Walmart. You, 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 there, there's other <laughs> things you can do that are a little more rewarding. Maybe um, we also we also had a guest on who's um, who wrote a book about her mother and her mother at 93 years old decided to create a true bucket list. And I have mixed feelings about bucket list. There, there's a problem with it if it's all you have, because if you have five things on your bucket list and you finish them, what, what do happened? you do now? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so at, at 93, she wrote down a hundred things that she wanted to do before she died. And she did them. And it was visiting a certain monument. It was skydiving. It was stuff that at 93, most people think, no, you're, you're sitting and knitting or you're watching TV. Um, and this woman lived an extraordinary final few years of her life and documented it in the most fabulous book. And so there's just fascinating people who have stayed uh, plugged in. Now, I will tell you, there's also folks we've met and, and worked with who have gone the other route. And you mentioned the suicide rate. Um, thankfully, I haven't, I haven't encountered that personally. But what I have seen is I have seen a, a, an incredible rate of morbidity where people don't thrive and their health suffers um, because they don't, they're not using their brain anymore. They're not using their creativity anymore. They're not using their, they're not even using their social pathways anymore. And it's just not good for you. And, and if you don't use it like any other muscle, it'll atrophy and it does. And so I, I think there's, um, there's a lesson to be learned 
And that doesn't mean that you should, uh, that you want to be 50 and broke and realize, oh boy, I think it's time to start because boy, have I been living a great life. (laughs) You know, I've heard it said that to be young and broke is an inconvenience and to be old and broke is a tragedy. So if that's true, let's, let's never be broke. But if we're going to be, let's be broke when we're 20 and don't have any financial responsibility at all. Um, I, I think there's a balance between living now and enjoying um, uh, enjoying a life of abundance and richness, but also preparing for the fact that you might have another 10, 20, 50 years on this planet. Um, and, y- you know, I think a lot of people expect that they will pass away at the age their parents did. And that's kind of a fool's errand. I think it's a lot more random than that. And I'm not, I'm not a geneticist by any stretch, but I think a lot of us do outlive our parents, d- depending on various health choices and some of it's luck, I guess. Um, but, you know, millennials who we like to beat on just like you do, I'm sure, because they're easy targets. Um, <laughs> but, 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 they, but they did figure out, they figured out the side hustle very, very early. So I encourage people when they are contemplating leaving their primary career, that they find a either a side hustle or some meaningful activity, whether it's for profit or not, that they can then move into. You can't just work for, for 50 years, retire, and then say, well, now I'm going to be involved over here. It takes time to meet the people and to network and to understand, even if it's nonprofit. If you say I'm going to work for the I'm going to work for the the you know American Cancer Society, that's great. But if you don't know a soul there, you're starting from a position of of basic weakness. Whereas if you spend some of your abundant years, your working years, getting to know the people and getting plugged into some some projects, when the time comes that you suddenly have more time, you're going to be someone they seek to be involved in chairing something or in in managing something or in recruiting volunteers or any of those kinds of things. So. It doesn't have to be for money. If you're financially independent and you don't want to make another nickel, that's fine. Um, on the other hand, I, I tend to think it's it's nice to to make additional money anyway. I can't imagine ever being in a position where I'm not doing something for some form of profit, even if it's just to give away. I, I, I don't know why. I, if, if I have the talent, the skill, and there's an interest in what I know or what I do, uh, why not create uh, opportunities for others that way. And so I, I think I'll probably do this for as long as, as long as I'm useful, which I hope is a long time. And I think that's absolutely right because it's exactly what the author of the second mountain talks about. You know, if you don't need the money that you can make for yourself, you probably have some cause that you do want to, that it gives you the incentive to want to do well for so that you can actually help that cause. And the networking, like you say, you know, we have met so many people over the years on our travels at masterminds and events where we've been teaching and training. And they've they've come to an entrepreneurship event to learn how to be an entrepreneur, how to have a side hustle, how to make an additional income for their later life or belong, or, belong to but, a community but that's not what they really wanted what they wanted was to plant their flag in a community that of people who were just like them mm-hmm. um and this is this is something i think psychologically and mentally particularly now because of the fallout from the pandemic people are realizing more and more the lack of socialization is having a huge fallout across the world and it's 
we see it such a lot because we work on social media a lot, building our tribe, building a movement, chatting to people. It's so, so scary. Uh, I, I think it next to financial literacy, the whole mental wellness thing side of things is really going to come to the fore this year and onwards. I, I, I'm guessing probably you might have countered that with your guests on your show. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. The, the group I worry most about is kids. Yes. You know, my, I have, a, I have a, a daughter in sixth grade and um, they have, their, their entire socialization has changed. It's much more remote now. It's much more online now. I'm thankful that during this experience, they had that option. Because if this pandemic had happened in 1983, we'd all been sitting home looking at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at least they had the ability to stay in touch with friends and to, and to still do that. And in, in a lot of ways, that was a, a blessing in disguise. But the, the social aspect of it, uh, and not just social graces, we're not talking Emily Post here, but, <laughs> but just, just knowing how to, how to greet someone and, and to make someone feel comfortable and to read verbal cues and nonverbal cues. Yeah. It, it's it's a skill set that need you need to to build and you need to to learn that in an early age and I think we're going to have a generation of people who have skipped a step and uh, forget the academics academically it's already bad enough that a lot of kids around the world but but certainly here in the U.S. are are behind where they were before but beyond that there's there's life skills that almost may have to be retaught or rethought as a result of some of this because there's a there's a whole generation of folks who haven't some of them, you look at, at, at six and seven and eight-year-old kids, some of them have never been in a classroom with people where you could see their faces. I know, that is so scary. In fact, we were watching, a, this is what prompted this, actually, to put this into the conversation, because I think the more that we do that and share it, um, the more we can help people. But there was an interview they had with a 12-year-old child who'd, they called the ambulance service, the first responders, I think you call them in, in the States. And she'd had a panic attack. She was in pain, but she couldn't really identify the pain. But when the, um, when the crew arrived and they started talking to her, discovered she's only 12 years old. She'd missed school for a whole year. She'd been bullied at school prior to the pandemic. So that was in our head all the time. And she basically was absolutely scared of the thought of going into school now. And that, it just made us think, my goodness, how many children are there like that? And their parents, the parents were young as well. They couldn't help. They hadn't got the life experience to help. Uh, fortunately, the first responders were of our sort of age. So they were able to talk to this, this little girl like a mum and dad and I think that made a big difference to her and they did follow up they said at the end of the documentary how grateful she was they'd identify the pain was caused through mind basically and her being scared and that she's getting treatment for that now but I know it's a bit off subject and, and I don't know how we got to it but <laughs> I, I sort of think these things are important. Where these conversations you know? go. And that's what I love about podcasting and the guests that we speak to, just as, as you do. Some topic might just come out like that. Well, we, but we can translate this into, you know, that, that sad experience we can translate into the adult workforce 
Um, when I, I don't know about you, but I used to fly regularly. I was on airplanes twice a week and I went a year and a half without a flight. And three weeks ago, I took my first flight in a year and a half. And just the act of going, of packing a bag, going to the airport, going through all the stuff that used to be old hat, it felt foreign, really mm -hmm. foreign. Um, and almost down to uncomfortable, like trying to sleep on the plane to make it go faster. Uh, and, and I, that was never an experience that I had. So imagine folks who are either have lost someone to, to the pandemic or, or just simply are, um, are more uncomfortable or more nervous about it now being told to, to go back to the workforce. Mm. There will be grown adults who are afraid to go back to work in the they same are. way that little girl was afraid to go back to school. And that's going to impact business. It's going to impact economies. It's going to impact retirement. You know, I, 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 this is all related. And so even though we, we took an interesting tangent, <laughs> I, 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 I do think we can pull it back to, <clears throat> to the subject at hand, which is it is going to play a role. And for that 12-year-old, if she, if she doesn't get over um, or get past the ability to go do that and socialize, it'll impact her, not just her financials, but her, her life. And, and so I, I do think that these things are related. I do think mental health is, is going to be in the forefront. I, I absolutely do. I think people have been very um, damaged by what's gone on the last year and a half. And a lot of it's in ways that are invisible. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in, in the great financial crisis, you know, in, in 08, 09, um, it was very obvious the ways people had some, some PTSD and, and there were things that were tangibly uh, measurable. This is different. And, and yes, we're going to get past it, but it's also something that, you know, my daughter, God willing, will eventually become a mom herself someday. And she's going to tell her kids about 2020 and they're not going to believe her. <laughs> it sounds impossible. Yeah. It's, it's quite funny. You're talking about that because uh, what was it about four weeks ago, we took our first journey abroad. Um, to ski chalet. We went to our house in France, but we drove because we didn't want to get on a plane. There you go. But isn't funny that, enough, isn't that amazing? Yeah. 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 I mean, not we, like we, us we at did, all. You know, we did a what was it? A fourteen-hour drive each way, just right? to stop having to go on, on a plane. plane, and that's crazy. But well, so we imagine you worked. Imagine you worked in that industry. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that that you were in the the hotel or hospitality industry, or you were in um, you were in the travel industry. Mm -hmm. These things have been impacted in a way that's going to linger. I mean, I, we may never get back to what things were, and I'm not sure that's bad. I don't know about you all, but I have thoroughly enjoyed how, in some ways, the world has gotten so small, and the ability for us to see more people, visit with more people, because of the technology we now have. Yeah. A couple of years ago, if I wasn't on an airplane to see somebody, it was just a phone call. And that's an incredibly difficult way to really engage someone. Yeah. yeah totally. But for, for me, the fact that we're on video, I feel like I'm in your in your office uh, looking at your the postcards same. and I feel I, I feel like an old friend rather than, uh, yeah. you know, someone we're just meeting. So it's it's a I think there's a lot of positives coming out of here, but we're, we're certainly going to have um, the mental health piece is definitely an issue. We're, we're going on our first plane a week after next. We decided we had to do it. <laughs> we got um, to get back into it. <laughs> well, and, and, and what you'll find is that some of it will come back to you and some of it will feel strange, at least initially. Yeah. I, at least that was my experience. And, you know, I have traveled since. So I've now done two round trips. And the second one was easier than the first one. 
And I'm sure in three months, six months, nine months, it'll be sort of ancient history to me in terms of, well, I can't believe that used to be strange. Like, that's what I do. Um, but I, I think I'm still going to do less of it. Yeah. Not because, I, I not because of the pandemic, but because of the technology. I don't have to. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I think the technology has it's come to been the forefront, such a boom in our lives. I mean, we were using Zoom in our business like for years before it became the stock that you wish you'd invested in. All those of course, years. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, even for my my mum's ninety two and she has dementia, and because I mean, we we live nearby. We moved so that we could be nearby, mm. and we took care of her throughout the 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 first year of, of COVID here in the UK. And she didn't see anyone except us. We didn't see even our own family because our priority had to be to keep her safe. But like prior to that, we were sort of, we were hopping on planes and going to events and teaching sort of every few months. But we found all that changed too. And suddenly the events were virtual. Um, and everyone, there'd be like screens of people because it was organized as a, an online event. All these mm -hmm. people, you could see them, screens and screens and screens of them. And you felt you were connected with them, even though you were not physically there. And for us, because we can't travel so much because of mum, we can't travel internationally now because it's too far other away. Than, other than Europe. Other than Europe. Right. Right. I can't get back in time quick enough if something happens and I would never forgive myself for that mm -hmm. but it means we can still speak we can still be guest speakers on our training events and we're getting so much pleasure out of that um, and I think it's opened a lot of doors for for business people or for people who haven't thought about a side hustle or an online business of any kind to suddenly realize, well, actually, I can do that and I can do it all sitting in my home. How cool is that? Uh, yes. And, and we've had uh, this year, our firm, I think we've, we've added 60 plus families to our, to our firm this year, which is wow. wildly abnormal. And they're all over the country. And it's because this has made it, 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 the technology has made it possible. And it's much easier to get comfortable with someone when you can see them and talk to them rather than if it's just a phone call, people don't yeah. pick up the phone. Um, in fact, people text anyway, they, they either text or they zoom. No one uses the phone because it <laughs> seems somehow it seems somehow impersonal. Um, <laughs> it's like, don't call me on this. This is not what this is for. Um, but, but we've had such a, a successful year um, getting to know, getting to know lots of families. And it's because of the, the, the way that this has happened. Now, I do think from a conference standpoint, virtual conferences are tough. I, I, I think they can work, but the hybrids don't work. So yeah. it, it's, you can't have people in the room and people online because the, the, it's too distracting. The people online can't feel they're participating and the people in the room, I, I just struggle with that. I think if you're gonna do fully virtual, it's fine. You know, and we've had, you know, our advisory board has met virtually, and I think we all prefer to be in person, but we can get things done if everyone's virtual. The mm -hmm. hybrid, to me, the hybrid doesn't work. It's too no, awkward. They are, they are strange, I have to say. I mean, we did we, one recently, didn't we? were we? on one recently, yeah. and it was, mm -hmm. it, was, it was sort of strange because they're talking to people in the room, and then as a side Then thing, they're looking at they're, you. They're, they're talking to people on <laughs> yeah, the screen. It's, it's weird. So, yeah, it was clever. I mean, clever technology i mean it's opened up a whole 
whole load of businesses that can be engaged in the technology side of that. And I think that's great for the economy too. We've got great friends here in the UK who were um, event coordinators in the technology side. So they'd arrange the recording of the events, the sound, all of that kind of thing. They had to pivot into a whole new world to actually support those people who gave them the money for their business effectively who supported their economy so it's it's been fabulous so i i guess i've got a special comment i was going to say that we've spent a lot of time with you and i know your time is super super precious but i wonder if you have any words of wisdom around the word pivot maybe before we end this podcast about what people could pivot into at this time of life um, I, I love that. That is a great question. And one I'm, I'm not sure I've ever been asked. So, so um, I think pivoting is incredibly important because um, our, our lives aren't linear. There's no straight line. You know, Robert Frost, it's the path less taken, um, yes. it, less traveled rather that I take. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think there's a, um, there's a need to constantly be reinventing yourself and not just professionally professionally, financially, socially, emotionally, to constantly be reinventing and to pivot in a positive direction. Because there are plenty of pivots that could be mistaken for for a backpedal. And I think pivoting to a retreat is absolutely not the best idea. So if you're going to pivot, if you're going to stay flexible and malleable, which is real important, make sure you're pivoting towards something and not away from it. That's great. Fabulous words of wisdom. So where can our listeners and our viewers find you and where can they get your book? Uh, The best place to go is at brotmanmedia.com. And that that is all of our resources, the online courses, the the books, the the um, uh, some of the ebooks and other free resources. The uh, um, certainly the book is available on Amazon or any place you buy books. Yeah, and that's the where podcast, we get ours from. Yeah, you, you can find the podcast at Brotman Media as well. That's the best place to find us. Eric, thank you so much for your valuable time today. We've gained so much from this. I'm sure we can have another conversation another day and talk about some other topic. I, I <laughs> hope you, so. And I, you've and got I think, so much. I think I owe you dinner. So next time you can get over the pond, you let me know. We definitely will. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen. If you are listening on our podcast and if you are viewing on our blog, we hope you enjoyed the interaction and felt that you were part of our audience. Thanks again, Eric. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. 